I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. And I'll be reading from verses 21 to the end of chapter 5. So Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had 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 a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the float of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talatha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. For she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this glorious passage, we pray that by your spirit, you would enlighten our minds and our hearts. Help us, Lord, to see the beauty and wonder and glory and power and compassion of Jesus in this text. Accomplish your purposes 
by your spirit and by the proclamation of your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the story, we encounter two people. Two people who are desperate. It doesn't matter, in one sense, your social class, whether you're poor or rich, whether you're held in high honor or an outcast. These two stories in Mark 5 remind us that the fallenness of our world affects all of us. And at some point, it will lead all of us to a place of desperation. See, in this story, there is a a well-known man in desperation and an unknown woman in desperation. And they end up turning to the only one who can meet their desperation. See, over the last two Sundays, we've seen Jesus' power and authority, both over nature, in the calming of the wind and the sea, and also his, his power and authority and compassion well, power and authority over the demonic and, and compassion in that he showed compassion to the man who had the demonic within him. But he displayed his authority over nature and also the, demon, the demoniac. And here in this passage, we see both Jesus's power over sickness and death, but also his compassion for desperate humanity. We're told that Jesus had crossed over the sea again to return, and and there was a great crowd that gathered about him. But the narrative, instead of focusing in on the crowd, zooms in on one man. And this man is a man of desperation, which is what we read about in verses 22 to 24. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. So there's this man named Jairus. Now it's important that you see that he has a name. We know his name. And he's also one of the rulers of the synagogue. So he would have been a religious leader, held in high honor, well-known to the people. He was a recognized and, in one sense, an accomplished man, a, a man held in high regard. But he's also desperate. He's desperate. He comes to Jesus, falling at his feet and imploring him earnestly for Jesus to come with him and to just touch his daughter, who is at the point of death. You see, here's a father who is terrified to lose his daughter. He's desperate, but but he also has some level of faith at work in him. As it seems that that he really believes that if Jesus comes and lays his hands on his daughter, she will be made well. Now, whether he had seen Jesus heal others or or whether in his desperation he sought out Jesus based upon the word that, that had been spread about him, we don't fully know. Most likely, being being a ruler in the synagogue, he he would have encountered Jesus at some point. See, whether he loved or cherished Jesus as Savior at this point, we don't know. But what we do know is that he has some form of faith that believes that Jesus can heal his daughter. 
And Jesus, according to verse 24, he went with him, but also a, a great crowd that followed him and, and thronged about him. Now, you, you can only imagine Jairus' frustration with the crowd. I mean, all he wants is for Jesus to heal his daughter, but there's no doubt that this crowd would have slowed down the task at hand. But there was also a woman in the crowd, an unknown woman, who, like Jairus, is desperate. She longs to be healed. And so now the, the narrative changes from, from Jairus to, to the scene between Jesus and this woman, but it is going to come back to Jairus. You see, sandwiched in between the story of Jairus is the story of the unknown bleeding woman. And there's a reason for that, as we're going to see. So look at verses 25 to 29. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but grew rather worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she had said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. So we're told in verse 25 that, that amongst the crowd was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. She had experienced hemorrhaging for 12 years, which means she would have been considered ceremonially unclean for 12 years. Most likely, few would have ever come near her nor touched her lest they be made unclean as well. She's in a constant state of uncleanness. If she was married, her husband had probably divorced her. But not only that, verse 26 tells us that, that she had suffered greatly at the hands of many physicians and, and had spent all that she had in hoping that these physicians could help her. And we're told that that not only were they unable to help her, but that her sickness only grew worse. So she's unknown. We, we don't know her name. She's physically ill, bleeding for 12 years. She's living in poverty. She's an outcast of society. Now you can only try to imagine the brokenness and hurt that she has experienced from life. This is a hurting, desperate woman longing to be restored. She has done everything humanly possible that could be done, and it's all been in vain. The, the physicians have deemed her incurable. It's often in moments like this where Jesus shows up. It's often in moments where where people are at their last straw, where they, are where they finally turn to the only one who can actually bring about healing and restoration. You see, we're so naturally prone to, to look to ourselves or to, to look to others, to, to look for refuge in worldly things. And it's often not until that, that desperation kicks in that we'll finally look to Jesus as the true deliverer. As Matthew Henry states, he, that is Jesus, is a sure refuge even to those who make him their last refuge. 
Now in verse 27, we're told that she had heard reports about Jesus. And these reports led her to come up behind Jesus in the midst of the crowd to simply touch his garment. And in verse 28, we're, we're given her reasoning for why that was. As she says, for she had said, if I touched even his garments, I will be made well. You see, based upon the reports, she concluded that if she just touched his garments, she could be healed. See, here's, here's a woman who has faith, but her, her faith is probably intertwined with, with a level of superstition. That, that maybe Jesus' miraculous healing power might be granted to her if only she just touches his garment. You know, th this is really important for us to see. Because often when we first come to faith, our faith isn't all that pure. Her faith wasn't perfect, but it was real. And Christ honored the impure faith of this woman. You see, sometimes we tend to think that before someone truly believes, they have to have it all figured out. But that's not how salvation works. And that's why kids can often have true saving faith, yet not fully grasp or articulate everything about the gospel and our faith. So she touches the garments of Jesus. And what happens? Well, we're told in verse 29 that, that immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. She touched the God-man and she was healed immediately. But as we're going to see, it wasn't so much the touch itself, but her faith in Christ that was the reason for her healing. Now Jesus, in the midst of the crowd, pressing around him, he perceives in himself that, that power had gone out from him. And this is important for us to recognize that that when Jesus heals, it's not with some power outside of himself, but it's from his very being. Power goes out from him and restores this woman to full health. So he perceives this and, and he turns to the crowd and says, who touched my garments? And his disciples in, in verse 31 respond in bewilderment, right? You see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? I mean, for goodness sakes, Jesus, so many have physically touched you right now. But as Augustine declared, few are they who by faith touch him. Multitudes are they who throng about him. See, despite the disciples' bewilderment, Jesus begins looking around to see who had touched him. Now at this moment, Jairus isn't mentioned, but we know he's there. And most likely, he's feeling or thinking similarly to the disciples. You can only imagine the possible inner frustration. Jesus, my daughter is near death, and you're trying to figure out in the midst of this crowd who touched you? But remember this. Jesus is never controlled by human schedules nor human demands. There's a purpose to everything he does, and there's a calmness to everything he does. 
And so Jesus is, is looking to find out who touched him. He knows who touched him, but there's a reason why he's looking. There's a reason why he hasn't called this woman out. He wants her to come forward on her own initiative. And so in verse 33, this woman in fear and trembling makes herself known. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. She comes in fear and trembling, falls down before him and tells him everything that had happened. Remember, though she has faith, it's not as though she knows Jesus all that well. What will he think? When I tell him of my situation and that, and that I touched him as a woman, as an, as an unclean woman, what is his response going to be to me? And what is his response to her? Well, verse 34, And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. What a statement of love and compassion. He tells her, your faith has made you well. As Ken Hughes states, daughter, your faith has healed you. Not your touch, not your superstition, not magic, but your faith. Your faith in me. Not only that, Jesus tells her to go in peace. For 12 years, this woman has, has suffered, has been an outcast, and Jesus restores to her peace. And this isn't some mere, I feel good kind of peace. No, no, this was an act of restoration. She was restored and made whole. Peace in the scripture is almost always tied to salvation, restoration, wholeness. She has come to know the peace of Almighty God. There's also one other thing that I want you to see that Jesus says to her. See, we're told in the beginning Jairus' name. But this woman, this bleeding woman, her name is unknown, but not anymore. Jesus gives her a name. What's the name that he gives her? My my daughter. This is the glory of salvation. In his searching her out, he brings her publicly into the midst of the crowd before Jairus and his own disciples. This woman who was unclean, who was living in poverty, who was an outcast to society, and proclaims in the presence of all the onlookers that this unclean poor woman is his daughter. She becomes the daughter of the king of kings. And friends, this is what salvation is all about. You might be an outcast. You might be broken, poor, hurt by the fallenness of this world. But if you would come to Jesus... If you would come to this G to Jesus in fear and trembling like this woman, he will recognize you. He will restore you. He will declare over you that you are his son, that you are his daughter. But you must come to him in faith like this woman did. 
I mean, imagine the impact this would have had on his disciples and Jairus and, and all the crowd that was there. I mean, Jesus is on the way to help a man who is known, who's held in high honor, who has the respect of the people, but he stops in order for everyone present to see this broken, poor woman restored. What do you think Jesus was trying to say to Jairus, to his disciples, to the crowd? Possibly that he has come to care for both the rich and the poor, the known and the unknown, the accepted and the outcast. You see, I think he was trying to say to all there, you're not any more important than this woman. In God's economy, both the rich and the poor are loved. Both the accepted and the outcast are loved. So Jesus pronounces words of affirmation over this woman. But this moment of goodness, this moment of beauty, love, is interrupted by horrible news. As we read in verse 35, While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Word has come to Jairus that his daughter has died. And because of this, he's told to, to no longer bother Jesus. You know, we're, we're not told what, what Jairus was thinking or feeling. Was he overcome with grief and despair? Was he upset that, that Jesus delayed in caring for this other woman? Did he still believe that Jesus could heal his daughter despite the fact that she was now dead? We just don't know. But while this report is being given, Jesus overhears and he exhorts Jairus in verse 36. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. This was a call for an intense faith. Jairus, you believed that I could heal your daughter when she was near death. Don't stop believing now when she has died. Don't allow fear to overrule your faith. You see, Jesus is going to demonstrate that not only does he have the authority and power to calm the wind and the seas, not only does he have the power to cast out the demonic, not only does he have the authority and power to heal the sick, but he also has the authority and power to raise the dead. And so in verse 37, he allows only Peter, James, and John to follow him to Jairus' place. And on arriving, Jesus sees a commotion. There are people weeping and, and wailing loudly, professional mourners, Funeral plans have already begun. And so Jesus enters the house and he, he said to all those weeping in verse 39, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. He was in essence rebuking them, possibly for their insincerity, based upon the fact that they, they laugh at him for claiming this little girl is not dead but only asleep. So at one moment they're mourning and the next moment they're laughing. 
But what did Jesus mean that this girl was not dead, but only asleep? We know that she was biologically dead. Yet Jesus declares she's but asleep. Well, sleep is often used in the scriptures as a metaphor for death. And I think the reason Jesus says only sleep, or says she's only asleep, is due to the fact that death has a finality to it, which in this moment will not be her end, due to the fact that he's going to raise her from the dead. In other words, this, this is sleep to Jesus because he will raise her as though she were asleep. Now the mourners that, that were there, there that laughed at Jesus for, for such an idea, um, and so quite literally, uh, he, he responds to them and he, he puts them out of the house. He will not let them see what he's about to do because of their unbelief, because of their mockery. But he does allow the father and mother and his three disciples to enter into the room where this young girl was sleeping. And this is what we read in verse 41 and 42. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talatha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. For she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. He did what any parent would do when their child was sleeping. Arise. Jesus very ordinarily takes her by the hand. Remember, she's dead. She can't feel nor hear. Yet he speaks to her in Aramaic and commands her to rise. And she arises. An ordinary act with an extraordinary result. Jesus speaks, and life is restored to this little girl, who we're told got up and began walking immediately. And of course, the parents and the disciples are, are overcome with amazement at what they have just beheld. Yet in verse 43, we, we see the, the secrecy motif again, where Jesus commands them not to tell anyone about this. Now, of course, Jesus knows that when people see this little girl, they're, they're going to know that she's no longer dead. So it's not as though he's hoping for complete secrecy, but he does require that people not find out what happened, the details, so to speak. And he also, of course, tells them to give the little girl something to eat, which is actually a common occurrence when someone in the Bible rises from the dead. It's partly the, the scripture's way of, of demonstrating that that this is no ghost before you, but a real physical person. So here in this story, we're confronted with two desperate individuals who are in, in many ways on the opposite ends of society. But both are in desperate need of Jesus. They're both, both in desperate need of his miraculous intervention. And we see Jesus respond to both these desperate individuals with authority and power in healing and, and raising the dead, but also in his compassion and love. You see, Jesus in these stories is, is demonstrating that he is the Son of God. 
with all authority and power. Within him there is power to overcome death. Within him there is power to calm the, the, the winds and the sea. Within him there is power to cast out the demonic. See, I don't know every person's situation that is watching this this morning, but some of you may be in a place of desperation. And you've been using up all your resources. You've been looking to self or others. You've placed your hope and your help in human intervention. And I would plead with you, turn Turn to the only one. Fix your eyes on the only one who can truly restore you and bring healing to your life. His name is Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the defeater of sin and death. And those who come to him will also defeat sin and death. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these two stories. We thank you for Jesus' compassion and love and for his authority and power over sickness and death. And we thank you, Lord, that for all those who, who place themselves under your refuge, they too will also overcome sickness and death at the resurrection of the dead. Lord, help us to live in light of that hope. Give us the compassion and the heart of Jesus for those in our society who are broken, hurting, who are desperate and need a Savior. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.